welcome to the Pathway Podcast. My name is Sam Speck, and I am the pastor at Pathway Community Church here in Elmhurst, Illinois. I just wanted to welcome you to today's sermon, and my sincere prayer is that this sermon is a blessing and an encouragement to you today, and will be uplifting for your faith and for your walk with Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy, and please don't hesitate to let us know if there's any way that we can be of service to you. Thank you very much. Enjoy the podcast. So just to give a quick recap, if you weren't here last week when we kind of launched this series on pursuing spiritual health, um, we're embarking, this will be the second week of this series, where we are talking about uh, pursuing spiritual resolutions. So last week we kind of introduced this series in conjunction with New Year's, in conjunction with talking about how New Year's brings resolution, it brings opportunity for new commitments, uh, new opportunities to, to change things, to, to uh, pursue new things that maybe we wanted to do in the new year. And we talked about that, that a lot of the times, most of the times, those resolutions that are made, things that are pursued are done mostly in the physical realm, uh, sought to change in diet, you know, exercise, things like that, to pursue and do new things. But what would that look like if we were to examine our spiritual health and see if there are aspects, spiritual disciplines in our lives that maybe we have been neglecting or been looking past and decide, I'm going to resolve to make that change and to pursue something that is good. So we're going to be talking about many different opportunities, aspects of that, that, and that goes along with it. Last week and our first week, we talked about reading the Bible because I believe that was an important place to start because I believe that's a foundation for many of the things that we do in our Christian walk, that we cannot be effective Christians if we're not willing to read the Bible. And so we talked about that for our first week, and I, I started thinking about this again as we were, uh, it's amazing how, how much through the new year, through the month of January, you still run into people and people are still talking about new years and new things and new opportunities and new things that they're doing. And I heard even though I think there are, are a couple reasons, we talked about last week the reasons that people feel the need to kind of make these changes in their lives or pursue new things or try new things. And last week we talked about, well, just because it's the new year, because it's that flipping of the calendar, it seems like a new opportunity, a new, a, a new moment to kind of say this is a good time to start something new. But I heard another reason this week that I think a lot of people make changes. I was out working on my sermon this week and I was typing along and I, I think I've mentioned this before when I'm, when I'm working, when I'm working on a sermon especially, I can't, I just can't stand to always just be in the quiet with nothing going on. I like the hustle and bustle. I like to hear things going on. Some people are totally opposites. I was taking, uh, we were in the library with our kids a few weeks ago and we were walking through the Lombard Library and there was people all over upstairs, upstairs of the library studying and working on things and it was dead quiet. It was so silent and it just made me like, I <laughs> made me have like a little freak out. I was like, I couldn't do what these people are doing. And they even have like these quiet rooms. Like there are people who love to work in the quiet, not me. Okay. So I'm sitting and I actually run into these, these two guys uh, who I've run into a couple times before. They go to Mission Church in Bloomingdale and two really great guys love the Lord. They're on the deacon board there. So we run into each other. We have conversation, you know, when we see each other, they're really nice guys. Um, and they love their church, and it's, it's cool. It's a beautiful thing. But they were talking, and we were kind of talking back and forth, and uh, one of the guys and I was talking, and then the other guy showed up, and he came in, shook hands, and this is how the conversation went back and forth. 
They shook hands with each other. And he goes, hey, man, oh, so good to see you. Happy New Year. You look great. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, da, 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 da. And he's like, no, no, you really, you, you look good. You know, the New Year looks good on you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, yeah, well, and I'm sure many people have probably said this in conjunction with the New Year. He's like, well, I had to make some changes. You know, Thanksgiving and Christmas really hit me hard. And he pats his belly. And he's like, and, and I thought about it. And I was like, that's probably another reason that people feel like they need to make changes. in the. If you think about it, from the span of 40 days, from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's, we might never stop eating, right? Like, I can't tell you the amount of ham. If I don't see a ham for two months, I'll be totally happy, okay? If my father-in-law is watching, yes, there is such thing as too much ham, okay? I'm sorry. Sorry, Wayne. You know, he, he's convinced there's no such thing, but I ate so much ham, all right? Do we just... With, with celebration with us just comes food. There's food, there's food. You go from Thanksgiving food to Christmas food to, to New Year's food, you know, whether it's ham and turkey and stuffing and sweet potato casserole and hot dogs, and everybody just gets to the end and they're like, I don't know, I think I need to make a change. Like, yeah, probably. You know, there's like, there's at least 10 extra pounds that have come from Thanksgiving to, to January because that's what we, that's, you know, that's just the way that we celebrate and do certain things. And that's, that's good. That's, that's, that's part of celebrating these things, but then people get to a certain point, I think, and they decide, I need to make a change. And when I was thinking about that, and as soon as he had that conversation, I was like, this is, this is why I, I want to talk about kind of the exact opposite of filling ourselves with food, celebrating with food this week, when it comes to one of these pursuing spiritual disciplines that I want to talk about for this week. And this one is, uh, for this week, we're going to be talking about Fasting. Fasting. So, fasting, it's a principle that's all throughout Scripture, and yet I think it's one, it's one of the ones we're going to talk about over the course of these next couple months that I think is probably one of the least practiced sometimes within the church. That I think this one, and that's why I think it's important that we talk about it, is that sometimes fasting feels like it's set apart for a certain group of people, but not for everybody, not for you know, any specific Christian. I, I didn't participate in my first fast, in, in fasting with the Lord, until I was a sophomore in college. It was the first time I ever remember even being asked to decide or even think about fasting in my, in my walk with the Lord. I, I, honestly, I grew up as a missionary kid. I know that my parents did fast at different points, I remember that being something that they did and, and had to do at different points. I remember them not eating with us at certain meals or things like that because they were fasting about something. But I never remember even considering it as something for myself, as something that was important for my walk with Jesus, for something that I would do with the Lord. And I think it's something that gets overlooked, that doesn't get talked about, and yet we see all throughout Scripture as an important practice of God's people. And I really do think that it should be an important practice for us, for you, for us as a church, corporately, personally, because it has value. And I think we're going to see that from the Word of God today. And it's funny now because I feel like fasting has even become this thing that's, that's it's a principle that we see from Scripture, and yet I see it now even making its way into just even secular culture that people are using fasting as, as even some sort of like as a health tool, as something to make you healthier and do make healthier choices and things like that. And, 
But the principal ground in Scripture, this is not just a choice to make, just like we talked about last week with, you know, sometimes choosing healthy resolutions physically and then spiritually. This is not something just to say, oh, this is something I need to do to, to lose weight or to, you know, even though it can have that principle. This is something between us and the Lord, something for us to do between us and God. And so what I want to see and look at this week is that fasting reminds us to rely on God alone. That's the big principle we're going to look at today, that fasting reminds us to rely on God alone. And if you're confused about the idea of, of fasting, it's abstaining from food and possibly drink as well in an expression of remorse, mourning, or spiritual discipline and guidance. Fasting is abstaining from food and possibly drink in an expression of remorse, mourning, or spiritual discipline and guidance. That's the basis of what fasting is. And where I want to start with us today, I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to start looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus was asked in t- on two different occasions to address the issue of fasting. And I want to start there looking at what Jesus had to say about fasting and then look at some of the other circumstances, some of the other ways in which people chose to go about fasting in the Bible and why I think it matters for us and why it's important for us. So Matthew chapter 6 is the first opportunity where Jesus takes to address fasting. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus' longest sermon that he gives to his people, to his followers. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he addresses fasting. He says, Now whenever you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so that people will, be no- people will notice when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, as they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as Jesus is speaking to his people not to fast, basically, he's saying you do not fast for the approval of man. And There must have been a reason that Jesus addressed that this way because he's seeing that in the culture. He's seeing that fasting has turned into this element of spiritual discipline where people were doing it to be noticed. You know, when they fast, of course, listen, fasting is going to be hard, okay? If in the circumstance that Jesus is talking about it, they're giving up food, they're giving up water, they may be, you know, they may be giving up certain things, whatever the, that extended period of time looks like, three days, seven days, whatever that looks like for them, of course, that is going to be hard. But he's saying not only is it hard, but they're going the extra mile to you know, fall on the ground and, oh, you know, oh, my goodness, you won't believe what I've been going through. I haven't eaten for three days. It's just, I am, oh, man, this is just the hardest thing I've ever done, but God is so good. And, oh, but, man, aren't I... Man, oh, can you believe what I'm doing? Can you believe I'm, I'm doing all this fasting for God? It's, oh, this is incredible. It's all about, would you look at me? Look what I'm giving up when I'm fasting. Look at all the things I'm giving up. Look at all the, how I'm doing. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this incredible? Isn't this wonderful? And Jesus is saying, do not fast like this. This, this basically eliminates the point of even fasting at all. Because it's all about what people see when they look at me. It's all about people's expectations of me. It has nothing to do between me and the Lord. And instead, he says, actually, you should be doing the opposite. When you fast, get up, 
Take a shower, brush your teeth, brush your hair. Make it so, make it so no one even notices. Don't even seek to, to let anybody know that you're fasting because that's not what it's about. It's about you and your heavenly father. It's about you and your relationship with your heavenly father and him seeing that you're fasting, him seeing the things that you're doing and giving up so that you can be with him and so that you can be drawing in in relationship with him. That's what Jesus spends time to say, is that this is what fasting is supposed to be about. Putting the priority of fasting is between you and God, an act that you take between you and the Lord so that you can be in close communion with him. It's not about how other people look and see and act around you. So that's the first time. And then just a couple chapters later, if you wanted to turn over to Matthew chapter 9, he has to address the issue of fasting again, just a few chapters later. In verse 14 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then the disciples of John, this would be John the Baptist, came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the groom cannot mourn as long as the groom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. So here's a question that Jesus receives from John the Baptist's disciples. John the Baptist's disciples say, why aren't, yours, why aren't your disciples fasting like we do and like the Pharisees do? And Jesus answers them and says, because they don't need to, because there's no need of it. And not only is there no need of it, it's not appropriate for right now. Fasting, a lot of the time, especially in this culture, had to do with the idea of, of mourning and repentance and for them, he's saying, look, we're at the season where they're with their groom. He's comparing this to a wedding. And he's saying, look, they're, they're at this season where they're at this wedding, and we're, we're in a season of celebration. I am here with them, and so there's no need for them to fast. Just like it wouldn't be appropriate if somebody was getting married and you went to their wedding and you decided to be ho-hum, you know, glum Eeyore all throughout the wedding, Right? Just to sit back and be like, oh, I don't want to eat anything. No, I'm not going to eat any food. I don't feel like celebrating. Oh, dancing? No, no. Someone else can dance. I don't want to be like, get this. What, what is this person doing at my wedding? We're celebrating, right? That's what this is for. Jesus is like, they are celebrating because they're with me. This is the time where we eat food. This is the time where we celebrate, where we have the turkey and the ham. But he says, but they will fast in one day because I won't be here forever. There will be a day when I go when I go back to be with my heavenly father and then they will fast. So he says they're not fasting right now because I'm here, because I'm with them. I am God with them. And so there is no need to fast. And not only that, not as, it's just not, it's not appropriate. I think about that and I think, I thought about that this week and just thinking about my own, thinking about putting myself in the shoes of the disciples and thinking there will come a day, church, where this discipline of fasting, it won't be needed any longer. 
we will be with the bridegroom. We will be with Jesus in heaven. And there will be no need to fast. It won't be appropriate to fast any longer because we will be with Jesus. We'll be with him in heaven. And he's switching the whole dynamic on them. Even as they come with that question about fasting, he, he gives this example of a patch on an unshrunk garment and new wineskins and old wineskins. Even now, he's trying to tell them, look, because I am here, things aren't the way they used to be. So because I'm here, you're not putting the new, he's comparing himself, I'm the new wine. You're not putting me into the old wineskins because then the wineskin's gonna burst. I'm bringing the new way the grace of Jesus Christ, I'm, he's seeking to show them there is a new way now. We don't put new wine into old wineskins. You don't put an old patch on a new garment because it'll just tear and pull, or a new patch on an old garment because it'll tear and pull away. He's seeking to flip these things around. So Jesus shows us these things. This is what he says about, and I wanted to, I think there's kind of three things that we can take for us from these two stories about Jesus and how he talks about fasting and kind of apply them to ourselves. And I think the first thing is, Jesus expects fasting to be a part of a person's life. He expects it. If you look at the wording that he says in Matthew 6, 16, he says, whenever you fast, okay? He doesn't say, if you find a chance to fast, or, you know, when your pastor is fasting, or when you reach a certain, you know, when you're, when you're a good enough Christian, or when you, if you ever get the opportunity, he says, no, whenever you fast, implying that he expects fasting to be a part of people's lives. He's talking, he's having the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just talking to his disciples. He's not just talking to the inner circle of the three. He's talking to all the people. And he says, whenever you fast, to all the people. Fasting, he expects to be a part of a follower of Jesus' life. Fasting should be a part of our lives. Jesus expects it. And so it doesn't mean... If you've never fasted in here before, if you've never had a fast, an opportunity to do those things, okay, I'm not condemning you. I'm not telling you you've been living in sin. I'm just telling you this is something that Jesus expects of us as Christians, expects to be a part of our lives. Okay, he doesn't give us a formula. He doesn't give a, okay, every month you've got to set aside a time for a fast. Okay, every da-da-da-da-da, so-and-so opportunities, you've got to fast six times a year for seven. No, there's no, there's no rules like that. Okay, in a couple minutes, I'm going I'm to see, hopefully show you some circumstances where I think you should consider fasting, but he does expect it. Even though there's no program, even though there's no schedule, he does expect it to be a part of a Christian's life. And so if you haven't had the opportunity to fast, I think what we're missing out on is some, is some beautiful and awesome communion with the Lord God. So he expects it. The second thing I think he's saying says it from the first story, is fasting is not for pats on the back. It's not for an attaboy, way to go, you fasted. This is like anything in the Christian life. We don't do the things that we do for God in order for people to pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we've done. Fasting is not just an opportunity to say, oh, look at me and what a great Christian I am. Fasting is about communion between God and man. It's about us and our relationship with the Lord. That's the last point that I think Jesus is making, is fasting is for fellowship with God. It's not the only way that we fellowship with the Lord. Okay, I'm not saying you have to fast in order to have fellowship with God, but I think it's to introduce a different level of intimacy with God. A different level of that relationship with God comes through fasting. 
because when you fast, your heavenly Father is aware of it. When Jesus has to go back to heaven, the disciples were going to fast after that. And I think there's just situations and moments in our life, and I want to look at just a couple of them right now, where people realize, where we realize as God's children, as his followers, that we just need that extra level of connection with God. We need that extra level of intimacy with him. Let's look at, I want to look at just a couple examples from the Old Testament and the New Testament of situations and circumstances that people find themselves in that motivates them to fast. I lump these first two together because they're so similar. The circumstances that lead people to fasting, I think the first one is for mourning and remorse. Mourning and remorse. Here's one example from 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12. This is right after 2 Samuel chapter 1 happens right after Israel is involved in a, in, a, in a big battle. And the king, who the, the man who was king of Israel at the time, his name was Saul, and his son's name was Jonathan. And if you know a little bit about biblical history, you know Saul was the first king of Israel, and David was the king who was, was the man who was tapped to take over from Saul. And so there was this huge battle, and after the battle, David finds out that Saul and his son Jonathan had been killed in battle. And this is what happens after David finds out. It says, then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So we see that in this story, David, who Jonathan was his best friend, so that makes sense. It makes sense that David was so torn up because because Jonathan was his best friend in the whole world. The friendship like David and Jonathan's was, they were so close with one another. And yet he's also mourning for Saul, a man who was seeking to kill David for a lot of his life. And yet David never raised a hand against Saul other than tearing his cloak. And yet when he finds out that, that, Saul, that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, he declares this season of of weeping, mourning, and fasting. Because fasting is, is a discipline that in these circumstances, this is the most common in the early Old Testament situation where you find fasting is when people are mourning, when they're sad, when they're upset. And you often see it in conjunction with prayer and they also, they tear their clothes and they cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes because that, this level of, of sadness of weeping is so deep that they don't know that this is the only thing they can, they can see themselves doing is tearing their clothes, sitting in sackcloth and fasting. And I think oftentimes the, the interesting thing about this is that I, I think this is probably the least practiced way that we fast as Christians is that you know, some of the ones that are coming up, I think, will probably be more common ways that people choose to fast. But I think that's because when we hit these intense periods of sadness or, or mourning, is that oftentimes, without even acknowledging it, we turn to other forms of comfort rather than to God. 
And I think what David's acknowledging here and what a lot of people in the Old Testament acknowledge when you see this type of mourning that's associated with fasting is that the level of hurt and pain is just so deep that all they know how to do is to cling to God. That all they want to do is cling to the Lord and to his comfort because there is nothing else that can bring them comfort. There is nothing else that can satisfy the level of deep hurt that's going on in their lives. And so they have to fast because they want to cling close, as closely to God as they can because the hurt is just that bad because this man has just lost his best friend in the entire world. And so he doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to do any of these things. He just wants to mourn and he wants to draw close to God. And I think this is a level of fasting we don't, we don't practice very often as Christians. Actually, it's the opposite, right? In our culture today, you hear things marketed as like, this is, this is comfort food, or you see people who are sad with tubs of ice cream. You see the opposite thing. Okay, I'm not, I like ice cream. I'm not condemning ice cream, okay? I'm just saying this is opposite, runs opposite to our culture of it's not cling to God, it's, it's cling to whatever makes me feel good. I'll just, I'll just sit in front of the TV and I'll watch shows. I'll just, I'll just eat uh, you know, this, this really big burger and fries because it makes me feel good. And I'll just do this over here. I'll, and even sometimes the other way, you know, uh, not even just food. or the, Sometimes it's, oh, I just need to go for, I need to run for six miles and I can't stop. You know, sometimes it's different things that we use, but it's oftentimes when we're mourning and when we're hurting, the first inclination is not, I just need to be with God. That's what David is saying. That's what the, the principle of fasting in that early part of the Old Testament in these situations that people find themselves in is saying, the only comfort that can come is from God. And then another scenario we see, not just mourning, but remorse. And there's mourning kind of associated along with that. But for this, I want to look at the city of Nineveh. So this comes from the book of Jonah. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah's hesitant to go to Nineveh. He eventually been told to give a message to them. He doesn't want to go. He eventually ends up there, and he gives this message to Nineveh that they are living in sin, that they're going to be destroyed by the God of the universe. And it says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the dust. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, no person, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water, but every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth, and the people are to call on God vehemently, and they are to turn each one of them from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Nineveh, when they realized the depth of their sin and the depth of the ways that they had offended God, they realized, they came to this realization that the only thing that they could do was to fast and to turn to God and hope that he relented. I love how the king of Nineveh even said that. Who knows? God may turn. He didn't have a guarantee didn't have a guarantee that God was going to show mercy. Didn't have a guarantee that God was going to relent from his punishment. But he knew that the only option that he had was to turn to God and to fast and to pray and to seek the mercy of God because there was nothing that he could do 
to save himself and his city. The reason for fasting, they acknowledged the depth of their sin before God. And when we realize the depth of our sin before God, we realize there's nothing we can do to make it right. They forsake everything else and just come to God. They left everything else behind and just came to God. The whole city, from the least to the greatest, from the king all the way down to the animals, said we're not going to eat anything, we're not going to touch anything, we're just going to seek God and his mercy and hope that he relents. It's how the people of God practice fasting in mourning and remorse. There's a couple others here, a couple other circumstances where the people of God find themselves in need of practicing fasting. The next one is deliverance. Deliverance. This is one of my favorite ones. This, this story comes from the book of Esther. So Esther is one of the king's wives. She's a Jew. And she comes to find out from her cousin Mordecai that they have, basically there's a plot against the Jewish people. Haman, who was an evil man, convinced the king to put out an order to have all the Jews killed. And so Mordecai, when he hears this order, he comes to Esther and say, Esther, you are the one who can save. You're the one who can save our people. You're the one. Go before the king. Plead for your people. And Esther and Mordecai go back and forth because Esther's nervous because she knows if she goes before the king and she's not seen in favor that she will be killed. And Mordecai basically goes back to her and he says, do you think that you'll escape? You're a, you're a Jewish person. That's in your heritage. That's who you are. Either way, you're destined for death. And Esther decides, okay, I'll go before the king and I'll plead for the Jewish people. And it says that Esther told them to reply to Mordecai in Esther 4, verse 15. Go gather all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will also fast in the same way. And then I will go to the king, which is in accordance with the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Esther knows that she is about to do a very dangerous thing before the king. She knows that she needs a miracle from God. She is just one of many wives, okay, of the king at this time. She has no guarantee that he is going to listen to her. He has no guarantee that things are going to go well. He has no guarantee that things are going to play out the way that they should. And yet the only thing, she knows she has to seek deliverance for her people. She knows she has to call on God. And so the thing that she asks them to do is to fast that they may be delivered. Fast that they may be delivered. And the beautiful thing, she has no guarantee but they fast for three days, and when she does go before the king, she is received well. The same thing, we see the same thing happening in Nehemiah as well. Nehemiah is burdened for his homeland because his homeland of Israel, of Jerusalem, has been destroyed, the walls have been torn down, and so he wants to go back and help to rebuild the city. And so what does he do before he asks? He asks permission for the king to go back, and Nehemiah 1.4, it says he fasts so that the king will see him in favor so he can go back and see deliverance for his people. If we want to see deliverance of God 
from difficult situations, from tough situations, from sickness, from trouble, from difficult places and situations we find ourselves in. Fasting is supposed to be a part of that. And then the last one, I think, circumstance we find for fasting is guidance. Guidance. In Acts 14, verse 23, this is talking about Paul and Barnabas and the work that they were doing in different churches around the area that they were visiting. It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It says that Paul and Barnabas, as they were planting these churches in different areas around the Gentile nations, it says that they would pray and fast before they appointed elders. And this one you see multiple times throughout the book of Acts. You see different scenarios before they appoint leadership or missionaries or elders, they call for a period of fasting. And this one hit home probably for me the most because guidance is probably the the situation in my life most that I've used for times of fasting in my own life. Holland and I, this is not, you know, pat on the back, great job by us. This was just something that we knew to be obedient from scripture we needed to do. We took a season of prayer and fasting before we came and took the job here at Pathway because we wanted to seek the guidance from the Lord because we wanted to say, God, are we going where you want us to go? Are we being obedient to you or are we just pursuing what we want to pursue? And so we took that season to seek the guidance from God and, you know, not having food for a few weeks landed us here in minus 21 degree weather. So there we go, all right? But I think that's one of the most common scenarios people use. These, all of these scenarios, church, all these circumstances are ways and opportunities. Like I said, there's no, there's no verse in scripture when talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting that says, that sets up any sort of schedule, that says, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not like church, it's not like, you know, attending church or some of these other things, or, or like prayer, prayer, talk about prayer without ceasing, you know, gathering together as a church, do not forsake the assembling together with one another. There's no verse that lays out a formula for, but it does give and show that in these di- different circumstances and opportunities, this is where the people of God choose to fast. And so I think in our own lives, there, there, there has to be a season and a time and a place in every one of your lives where there is a need for some fasting. I'll never forget, like, the, I'm just giving all these scenarios, but uh, when I asked, finally approached my father-in-law to ask his permission to marry his daughter, I'll never forget, we got through the whole conversation, everything was good, he, you know, all positive all the way through, and he's like, you know what? To really make sure this is the right thing, I think we're, you and I need to pray and fast for three days. I was like, oh, you th- okay, yep, yep, you're, the, you're my father-in-law. All right, we're doing it, I guess. You know, like, I didn't feel that same call. I feel pretty confident, but we're good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> God, if you change this marriage decision in three days for prayer and fasting, no, no. It was all good. He was right. We sought the, although, okay, no, no, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about how my other brother-in-law didn't have to pray and fast, okay? No, nope, we're not going to talk about that. He wanted to seek the guidance of the Lord. It was wise. It was the right thing. It was when we, when we get into these circumstances and times and places in our lives, we need guidance from the Lord. I think that's a good opportunity for our hearts to say, Lord, I think 
I need to spend time praying and fasting. And there's no set amount of time. There's no set circumstance of what that's supposed to look like. There's no set, hey, it has to be this many days or this many meals that you have to miss or, or da, 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 da. No. It's just I need guidance, and so I'm going to fast and seek the Lord. I need deliverance. I am in a difficult situation. I have fasted for a day, a couple days, with people who have come to me and said, I think I need to pray and fast because I'm sick and I want to ask for the Lord to deliver me. There have been scenarios and places and times where, where these circumstances come into our lives and we say, I need to fast. And I think the best way to sum it up comes in this way. In every sort of fasting situation, we are recognizing that there is a need for God. If I am mourning or if I'm in remorse, I need God to be my comfort or my salvation. If I'm seeking deliverance, I need God to meet me here because otherwise, this is not going to go well. For guidance, I need the Lord to tell me or give me some sort of help in making this decision because I don't know which way to go or what to choose. And so, just like last week, just like last week with our Bible reading plan, I promise this isn't going to be every week, but these are things that God just keeps laying on my heart, and so I want to challenge you with them because I'm being challenged by them. If there's an action to take, I want you to pray about participating in our church's seven-day fast. This is something the elders and I, even before I decided to do this series, this was months ago, we talked about starting the year with the fast together as a church. It's going to start next Sunday. And I want to encourage you, maybe some of you have never fasted before, that's okay. Maybe some of you are, are old vets at it, that's okay too. When we fast, when I say choose to do a seven-day fast, okay, I'm not telling you from it's going to start next Sunday that you have to give up food and water for a whole week, okay? Fasting looks different for different people. I used to, when I was in my youth group, when I was a youth pastor back in Ohio, I wanted to challenge my teenagers to fast, and we would do fasts together, but I would challenge them. I'd say, hey, maybe it's not food. Maybe Delete Snapchat, delete Instagram, delete TikTok. Fast from social media with me for a week. Don't go on Netflix. Fast from entertainment, okay? Maybe I know people in my life, okay, who really, really, their body, you know, reacts really badly when they don't have food. It makes them, it just shuts down. It's not good, okay? So it's not feasible for them to do it that way. So they choose to do other things. They say, okay, I'm just going to fast from one meal a day, just lunch. I'm not going to eat lunch every day for seven days, okay? I'm not telling you exactly that everybody's fast has to look exactly the same way. And then I know people who just have water for seven days. Some, some of them go longer, 14, 21 days. Okay, I'm not telling you what that's supposed to look like. What I'm asking you is, would you pray and consider participating in a fast with us as a church? And what I really wanna do, what I'm really excited about maybe God doing is, is taking that fast period and then right after, so it would be a Sunday to a Sunday, and then right that, that very next week we'll have the prayer meeting time. I would love to just hear some testimonies of what God has done through that fasting period in your life. And I think especially, you, 
you know, there's no pressure. Okay, just like with the Bible reading plan, if you decide not to do this, that's okay. You are not lesser than. You are not less of a Christian. You're not less of a, okay? This is just an opportunity for us to put practically into action the things that I believe God's calling us to do. So I just ask you to pray about it. Ask you to pray, is there a thing and a way in which you feel like you could fast with us over that seven days? And if yes, I would ask you to, to, to make that commitment, to try it, to see. And especially if you find yourself in an area in your life where you have been in, in deep mourning, in deep struggle with the Lord, or maybe you've been seeking deliverance from something, or maybe you're seeking guidance for something, that especially is a great opportunity to go and to fast and be with the Lord. So I promise not every Sunday am I going to ask you to sign up for something or sign up to do something, but for these first two weeks, the Bible reading plan and now this fast together, I believe that these are two really valuable things that could set us on the right trajectory as a church, as a people of God for the year to come. So would you please just pray about that? There's not going to be a sign-up for it. I'm not going to ask to, you know, write down any names or it's just if you feel led of the Lord to participate, we're going to start next week together. And I promise we, uh, that we will put out less snacks so it's less tempting. Okay, although it's the first day, you know. First day is easy. After that's where it gets hard. Day three, day three is real bad. Um, if there's a prayer to pray, Lord, help us to use the discipline of fasting to recognize our need for you. That's what fasting is supposed to, to indicate, okay? It's not that, okay, I have, I'm not eating at lunch anymore, so now I'm just gonna go, oh, it's my lunch break, I'm just gonna go you know, sit in my office and watch YouTube videos for 30 minutes, okay? No, it's, it's replacing that element of food in my life with something with the Lord. So instead of eating, I'm gonna spend this 30 minutes in prayer, praying for people in my life, praying for this need that I have, praying. It's, it's taking what we're losing and filling it with the Lord instead. Help us to have the discipline to recognize our need for you. And then I just I praise the Lord because there's a day coming where we won't need to fast anymore because we'll be with Jesus. We'll be in that circumstance like the disciples where it's say, there's no longer need because I can just go and I can just be with Jesus. I can just walk and talk with him and be with him. I just think that would be a beautiful day. So I just ask you to consider it, ask you to pray about it, and ask you to see what the Lord will do in your life because I believe that this is a healthy spiritual practice that we could all benefit from adding to our walks with Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Pathway Podcast. If you did enjoy this episode, would you do us a favor and follow our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify? And please leave a review so we can know how we're doing. We would love to serve you in any way we can. And if you'd like more information about Pathway Community Church, you can visit our website, pathwaycommunity-elmhurst.org. We hope to hear from you. We love you guys. See you next time.